listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Can you believe that on March 18th, we are still experiencing snow flurries? I walked out of my house this morning, and there was enough snow on the ground to cover the sidewalk, which I did not expect nearly to spring. However, it is fitting, indicating uh, the chilly economy that the Biden administration is experiencing as the foremost thought in everybody's minds is turned to the banks that have folded Uh, causing the uh, economy, some stocks to take a tumble, and major financiers and investors to become concerned, as well they should be. Thanks for tuning into the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher. Producer Carl, beep, 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 pushing those buttons and doing the things to make the show function. Catch our podcasts at SaturdayNightOnTheCircle.Fireside.FM, WIBC.com, and join the show in progress on the YouTube feed. Uh, look up WIBC. You can find our show there. Hop in the chat. Uh, let, let us know you're here. Show your support. Have some things to say. Let us know. Again, you're listening to 93 WIBC. And the big thing that we were dealing with was the financial crisis caused by the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank beginning last Friday and evolving over the current uh, uh, ensuing week. On Sunday, another bank fell, uh, this time caused by the SBP uh, collapse. It was Signature Bank, which was a mid-sized bank in New York. And by Sunday evening, the Biden administration had already indicated their intent to step in, which was officially announced on Monday when Biden, before his trip to California, announced that the FDIC would cover the depositors' credit and breathe a sigh of relief for small businesses around the country. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. Although that assuaged some Americans' concerns, the global markets were not so trusting when on Wednesday, shares of Credit Suisse, the second largest lender in Switzerland, took a nosedive as fears of a potential collapse ensued. A major investor choosing not to uh, expand his shares in the company. Switzerland then subsequently uh, stepping in and saying they would guarantee their creditors. And on Thursday, March uh, the 16th, Uh, Credit Suisse and uh, the flailing First Republic Bank were both officially thrown lifelines, ensuring multi-billion dollar credits, uh, credit lines to keep the companies afloat. We're going to get into the financial crisis more in depth coming up in the next hour, inviting guest Brian Baker onto the show. And he's going to explain why some of the current concerns perhaps are being overblown and why your fears should not get out of control, which is a reassuring message to be sure. Don't miss that, so stay tuned later in the show. Before we get to that, though, I wanted to cover the Hunter Biden scandal, which continues to develop and grow. Uh, We heard earlier in the month, according to Fox News, a poll that released uh, 73% of Americans believe that Joe Biden uh, and Hunter Biden did something illegal or potentially unethical in their international business dealings. We now potentially are getting a paper trail to 
corroborate what many Americans have already known, this being uh, released by James Comer and the House Oversight Committee, a memo that describes a money trail linking China to the Biden crime family. Breaking news out a report in the House Oversight's probe into the Biden family finances. It's the first actual evidence of a money trail going from China through a business partner of Hunter's and then into the bank accounts of Biden family members. Our senior national correspondent, Rich Edson, is here with the breaking news. What have you got, Rich? Uh, well, John, when you look at some of these payments here, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer claims subpoenaed bank records show President Biden's daughter-in-law, Haley, received $35,000 over two transfers in 2017. Haley is Boba. Biden's widow was also in a relationship with Hunter Biden after Bo had died. Comer says just before those transfers, a Chinese energy firm wired a family Biden associate $3 million. Comer says soon after that, the associate, Rob Walker, sent hundreds of thousands of dollars to members of the Biden family. Everyone says it was for an energy deal. Well, it looks to me like these people who were closely aligned with the Chinese Communist Party sent $3 million to a shell corporation. Then they turned around and split it three ways with a third going to the Biden family. Three different family members for no apparent reason. Desperately try as they might, the Biden family has been unable to make the stink of this scandal go away. All beginning, of course, with the release of the Biden Hunter Biden laptop. Top, once supposed to be purported to be a conspiracy uh, flamed by Russians signed to and attested by more than 50 uh, intelligence officials at the time now corroborated uh, to be a full reality and this at a time when Hunter's represent uh, attorneys representing Hunter Biden filed his answer in a defamation suit that was brought by the uh, computer owner John uh uh, John Paul Mac Isaac, and now they are countersuing him for mishandling Hunter Biden's private information, all but confirming that, yes, indeed, the laptop was real. Hunter was the one who brought it in and delivered it to the uh, uh, computer repair shop in Delaware. According to the countersuit fired by his lawyers, they say that Hunter had more than a reasonable expectation of privacy and any data that he created or maintained would not be accessed, copied, disseminated, or posted on the internet for others to use against him or his family or for the public to view. And now Hunter Biden is seeking an undefined, uh, compensatory, uh, an unspecified amount for compensatory damages in the counterclaim against the computer shop owner. So now we've we've come full circle, circle here, ladies and gentlemen. We came from 50 members of the intelligence community all swearing, we swear to God, this came from Russia. And now Hunter Biden is suing uh, this computer shop repair owner, not on the basis of uh, defamatory claims, but on the basis that he disseminated Hunter's private information. He brought it to the laptop repair shop. The policy states that if it's left for more than 90 days, it becomes the company, uh, the, pro the property of the company. He attempted to contact Hunter Biden to retrieve his own property. Didn't do it. This was short-sighted on the part of the president's son. Pressure mounting from all, all angles now. So we've got the House Oversight Committee probing into his business dealings. We've got a potential paper trail now linking 
the uh, members of the Chinese Communist Party and the business community with uh, surreptitious payments to the Biden family. We've got the countersuit against the uh, uh, PC repair shop owner, and they're also probing into uh, uh, Biden's ties with uh, Hunter Biden's ties with the art community, selling his. Uh, <laughs> Carl's Googling, um, selling his amateurish works for up to six figures to anonymous buyers. This, the Committee on Oversight and Accountability, pushing for details on collectors who ponied up for Hunter's six-figure art. Representative James Comer again heading the committee, saying, given Hunter's history of suspicious activity, it is deeply concerning that the president's son continues to sell his amateurish work to anonymous purchasers for sky-high prices. Yes, enriching himself on the acclaim of his family name and deepening the corruption of a family that is entrenched in government uh, and has been for decades uh, using those connections to enrich themselves. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle, 93 WIBC. Before we go, of course, by now you've heard the breaking news that while all this is going on with Hunter Biden and the investigations heating up, well, I guess Democrats felt it would be the time to bring indictments against former Donald Trump for, of all things, a misdemeanor allegedly committed in New York brought by the district attorney, Alan Briggs, for hush payments related to paying off Stormy Daniels. We are learning that the Manhattan DA's office has asked for a meeting with law enforcement ahead of a potential Trump indictment. This is coming to Fox News from a source in the courts. The meeting, which was requested yesterday and has not been set yet, is to discuss logistics for some time next week, which would mean that they are anticipating an indictment next week. The same source who's familiar with the planning said they will go over security preparations in and around the courthouse in Lower Manhattan. Secret Service will take the lead in what they will allow or will not allow. The source cautioned, mentioning, for instance, that the decision to handcuff the president, a former president, or not. They will set the tone and will escort him into the courtroom. There will be coordination between all of us, the source said, but we will defer to the Secret Service. The battle will be between Secret Service and DA Alvin Bragg. They will decide how and when he'll get into the building and they are not going to leave him. The source believes that the former president will still have to be fingerprinted and processed like every other defendant. So um, this is a huge development if Alvin Bragg has decided to go ahead with a felony indictment of the former president. A felony indictment for a misdemeanor crime and then elevating it to felony status because it could be construed as a potential campaign finance violation. This is this is some ridiculous stuff because of course hush payments aren't illegal. What's ill no, the hush payments aren't. What's illegal or what's alleged to have been illegal was the mislabeling of the funds that were paid to Michael Cohen for the hush money payoff. So this is all very Orwellian, uh, uh, very bureaucratic, um, very Byzantine, I should say, and completely ridiculous. How many bites at the apple do the Democrats need? They failed with the uh, immaculate phone call, the perfect phone call to Ukraine. They failed to tie uh, the president to the January 6th uh, uh, riots at the Capitol. Uh, both of those impeachments for which he was acquitted. And now finally, going to get him on this misdemeanor charge for 
for hush money payments to Stormy Daniels. None of this is about really accusing the president of a crime. It's about eating away at his legitimacy through uh, manipulating the optics. Uh, this isn't ultimately going to go anywhere, but is a dirty trick by the Democrats. I think it will ultimately backfire. They seem to have not learned their lesson. Leave him alone. Leave the former President Trump alone. Because when you go after him like this, you're just legitimizing and then galvanizing his followers. Stay tuned to 93 WIBC. More to come. Up next, we're going to discuss what Democrats are finally admitting, the quiet part out loud in their transgender ideology. They are, in fact, targeting your kids, supported by the administration. You'll hear it all coming up next. Carry on my wayward son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. This is Saturday Night on The Circle on 93 WIPC. They're coming after the kids, ladies and gentlemen. A reality which unfortunately can no longer be denied. Thanks for tuning in to Saturday Night on The Circle. Catch our podcast at WIBC.com, Saturday Night on The Circle.Fireside.FM. And join the chat in progress on YouTube. I see uh, Rock Fan and Kojak are already with us. Thanks for supporting the show. We appreciate you being here. Okay, getting into the meat of the segment. This really made my blood boil this week because it affects kids. I think we, we, we can all, or most of us can accept, that in a free country, adults generally should be allowed to... To do what they wish as long as that doesn't impact the health or safety of others. However, in the transgender ideology, they've often disguised their desire to subject children to mutilating surgeries or life-altering hormone therapy pre-adulthood, but now openly be uh, admitted by uh, Biden's Assistant Secretary of Health, Rachel Levine, who says the administration is fully in support of what they call, quote, gender affirmative care, and I'll get into why that's a misnomer very shortly, for minors, which includes surgery, which includes hormone therapy. Here's Rachel Levine admitting the truth. I think that as we look to all the different elections in 2024, um, I think the next two years are going to be challenging, but I am positive and optimistic and hopeful that the wheel will turn after that um, and that uh, this issue won't be as uh, politically and socially such a minefield. Um, in the meantime, I can say that the, the children that you serve the, and the young people that you serve, their families and you all as their providers have supported the highest levels of the federal government. President Biden supports you and he has articulated that support for the children and families on a, uh, frequently. OK, first of all, Dr. Levine, I would like to say that as long as this issue targets children, I hope it never stops being a political minefield because kids deserve the highest level of uh, uh, protection because they receive none, because they don't have the freedoms afforded to adults and because they need the added security during their developmental years, especially against life altering hormone therapy, which could potentially change the way their body develops forever. This is temporary. And the entire idea that it's called uh, gender affirming care is largely a misnomer because it's a manipulation of terms designed to, designed to hide the reality that it is biological, uh, biological sex denying harm. 
Gender-affirming care is biological sex-denying harm because in order to receive this so-called care requires surgical manipulation of your body, a denial of reality, and adults, they can do what they want. Kids need protected, and they are going after your kids in what could be ultimately a uh, life-and-death decision. This is Peggy Flanagan, Lieutenant Governor of Minnesota, uh, on an executive order which is protecting in that state their access to gender-affirming care, which again includes hormone therapy. This is what she had to say. When our children tell us who they are, it is our job as grown-ups to listen and to believe them. That's what it means to be a good parent. I dare say that is not what it means to be a good parent. This is like giving in to your child who demands they eat ice cream for breakfast that wants to overload themselves on salty and sugary snacks to the point of morbid obesity as something that could change the trajectory of their health and well-being for the rest of their lives. It is not good parenting to give in to your children when those are the demands. And when we're talking about surgically altering your body, minors are not in the position to do that. And that shouldn't be a controversial opinion. Fortunately, not all states are going the way of Minnesota. Some are stepping up to protect their kids. And again, what shouldn't all be a controversial move? Don't perform surgical mutilation on under 18. Don't give them life-altering uh, hormone therapy unless there's some other medical, medically proven ailment that would require such intervention, not the belief that they are of a different sex, which I love how the left pollutes the language. Uh, they say that sex and gender are different. Oh, we're not. There are two genders. There are 5,500 genders, and there are only two sexes. But in order to affirm, uh, receive the, quote, gender affirmation, care, they got to change your sex. They're changing your sex. So the, the left can't even keep a consistent tone on what exactly it is they're addressing. But like I said, other states, fortunately, stepping up to protect the children in what shouldn't at all be controversial, including Georgia, which voted on Thursday uh, for SB uh, 140, which would ban hormone therapy and transition-related surgery for children, something that shouldn't all at all be controversial. But this is why I say it's a life literally a life and death conversation because even the Democrats recognize it, of course, pervertedly so, but we'll get into that. This is a uh, state representative, Carla Drenner, begging the assembly to vote against the bill that would protect children, saying that if they don't cave in, the kids might kill themselves. To all the children in our state, that are going to be negatively impacted. Please don't lose hope. Please don't give up. Please don't kill yourself. This world is worth it. We need you. Please don't vote for this bill. Thank you. I yield the well. This 
is mind-numbingly destructive. People were not killing themselves over lack of surgical options for thousands of years. This is a recent invention, a recent phenomenon. And denying children the freedom to mutilate themselves is not abuse. Sorry. Sorry about you if you feel otherwise, you're wrong. It's just like I said earlier, this is it, 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 if a child threatened suicide because you will not feed them ice cream for breakfast every day, you would not cave into them and doing so is not good parenting. So yeah, this, this, this issue energizes me and honestly, it, I wouldn't probably bring it up at all if it was limited to just the adults. Adults should have the freedom in a free society to do as they wish. If they want to engage in these hormone therapies or, or surgical alteration of their body, go ahead. But when you bring the kids, when you, when you involve the kids, you invite scrutiny to this nonsense. Thanks for tuning in to Saturday Night on The Circle, 93 WIBC. Of course, coming up next is the Hat Tricks with Hatcher segment. I think you'll be entertained by the clips I've got selected, getting us into the mood and tying in with the theme of this segment. I want to end off with Jamie Lee Curtis's, uh, uh, or Jamie Jamie Curtis's, uh, uh, renaming of her Oscar award in honor of her quote daughter Ruby. Hey. Oh look at this. <laughs> here here they are. Have we named her? What's her I I I'm in support of my daughter Ruby. I'm I'm having them be a they them. Oh. Um, I'm I'm going to just call them them. They oh. them. And oh. um, they are doing great. And uh, they're settling in. Um, and um, I couldn't, I mean, I just. If you want to call your Oscar they, them, you're an adult, you have the freedom. I think it's weird, but I don't have to approve because I didn't win the award, but leave the kids out of it. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Stay tuned. Hattricks with Hatcher coming up next. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans. I got spurs that jingle, jangle, jingle. Jingle, jangle. As I go riding merrily along. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. And that song ain't so very far from wrong. This week, Kamala Harris admitted the quiet part out loud that her time in office is better compared to a comedy than a serious stab at leadership. Laughing on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, seemingly oblivious to the startlingly accurate appraisal and its own comedic potential. This week, we'll replay the moment of madness and, uh, and wind back the clock to show the treachery and lack of principle held by the vice, prince, uh, vice president for this exciting edition of Hat Tricks with Hatcher. It's time for another one of Hatcher's Hat Tricks. The story you are about to see is true. 
the names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle, where I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher, producer Carl, beep, 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 pushing the buttons and doing the things to make the show function. We begin, of course, with Vice President Kamala Harris' appearance on The Late Show with a friendly audience and Stephen Colbert in tow, admitting that her leadership is more akin to, like I said, comedy than a serious stab at uh, uh, being in the executive office. This was what she had to say during her appearance. Okay, so here's the thing, because you and I have visited before. I know you love Veep. I do. I, I love Veep. Is it accurate? There is. There are bits of it that are actually quite accurate. And... Um, Okay, so this is a show that was starring Julia Louise Dreyfus poking fun at uh, the sometimes whimsical nature of left-wing politics in the Oval Office. And yes, perhaps a more apt comparison than she would like you to believe. She, of course, shared this anecdote about her office getting filled with smoke. But here's a side-by-side comparison between Veep and the vice president. And I'll tell you what, I'm kind of energized about this uh, next season of the show. My fellow Americans, words have many meanings, and sometimes instead of conveying our meaning, they can suggest other meanings. When we talk about the children of the community, they are a children of the community. Well, we are the United States of America because we are united. And we are states. Um, talking about the significance of the passage of time, <laughs> right? The significance of the passage of time. So when you think about it, there is great significance to the passage of time. Whatever we have in store cannot be known. The past was once the future. The future is, I should say, unknown. We gotta take this stuff seriously, as seriously as you are because you have been forced to have to take it seriously. Obesity is a serious disease and it needs to be taken seriously. You need to get to go and need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. I hope that clarifies the issue and this can be the last word on those words. Certain issues are just settled. Clearly we're not. No, that's right and that's why I do believe that we are living, sadly, in um, real unsettled times. I don't think she intended the comparison to be perhaps as accurate as it actually is. But yeah, you know, not far off the mark at all. But I really wanted to dive into the hypocrisy of the vice president because, of course, there there's deeper criticisms than just her, her lack of uh, articulation um, during her, her press appearances. Anna Navarro, of course, of The View says that Fox News is mischaracterized the vice president as inept, but I'll show you why that's not the case. Fox News every single day goes after Kamala Harris, trying to portray her as inept and some kind of bubbling fool. She's not. That's not who she is. And so Democrats have got to come out and reinforce Kamala. They've got to stop playing into the hands of these people who cannot stand that she is the first woman, the first woman of color vice president and don't want her to succeed. 
She's a cravenly political animal who has no personal principles and is willing to drop them to the side at the first sign of inconvenience to her career. Of course, praising President Biden for his uh, strength of leadership, but that hasn't always been the case for the vice president. He really is a true partner and he understands the job. And remember, we came in during the height of the pandemic. And so, so much of the work was about, okay, we've got to cover a lot of bases and let's figure out how between us we can do it. But he is um, an extraordinary leader and I wish that people could see what I see because uh, there's only one person that sits behind that resident desk. Strong leader, she says. Of course, the botched withdrawal from Afghanistan, the formula shortage, the transportation crisis, the inflation crisis, the bank collapses, the slow wage growth. So many problems directly tied to the Biden administration. We've left so many on the table, like the out-of-control energy prices, gasoline prices, the tightening of regulations on the uh, energy sector that now has backfired with Biden approving more drilling against the desires of his leftist supporters. He's not a strong leader, nor has the vice president always felt that way. Let us not forget, once upon a time, she believed the accusers against the president, now President Biden, who accused him before he even hit the campaign trail. I believe them, and I respect them being able to tell their story and having the courage to do it. Do you believe that the vice president should enter this race? Oh, he's going to have to make that decision for himself. I wouldn't tell him what to do. Not only did she believe the accusers who said uh, accused Biden of sexual impropriety and other creepy behavior, but she also tied him to support of racists during his time in the Senate and opposition of federal busing programs, essentially calling him racist to his face on the debate stage. He's a strong leader, says Kamala Harris. Well, that's not what she said back in 2019 when she's a little bit more feisty. Vice President Biden, do you agree today, do you agree today that you were wrong to oppose busing in America? Then, no, Do you agree? I did not oppose busing in America. What I opposed is busing ordered by the Department of Education. That's what I opposed. Well, I there did was not a oppose. failure of, of states to, to integrate no, public schools in America. I was part of the, the second class to integrate Berkeley, the, California public schools almost two decades after Brown v. Board of Education. Because your city council made that decision. It was a so local that's decision. So that's the federal government must step the, in. The that's why we have the voting rights. And the Civil Rights Act. That's why we need to pass the Equality Act. That's why we need to pass the ERA. Because there are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of all people. After Kamala Harris slammed the then vice president for his views on federal busing programs during the 1970s, on a phone call with supporters, the future first lady, Jill Biden, said Kamala can go F herself. Yeah, caught caught on tape and not released by right-wingers. That was a report from the Politico in 2021, that call resurfaced. So, yeah, there has been no love lost between Biden and Harris. They're political animals, both seeking to benefit themselves from the association. No principles behind it whatsoever. And here's Kamala Harris, who, yes, unlike Ana Navarro suggests, is incredibly inept and is a woman without principle.
You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Stay tuned for more. Coming up next, going to perform a little experiment. You heard me talk about uh, uh, the Hershey campaign uh, released by Hershey's Chocolate and then uh, complain about how everything is freaking political now and it doesn't make uh uh corporate virtue signaling any better just becomes it because it comes in a flavor that i approve of well gonna talk a little bit more about jeremy's chocolate binary coming up next and where it was manufactured you know some unanswered questions i think you'll find interesting so stay tuned to saturday night on the circle and we'll dive into that coming up next is Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIBC. Virtue signaling has really infected everything. Politics is now center stage on any discussion. Nothing is innocent, not even chocolate. It began with Hershey's announcing ahead of International Women's Day, of all things, a transgendered uh, woman uh, who was the face of the uh, Hershey chocolate bar campaign, the women changing how we see the future, was their slogan. Of course, enraging many in the conservative community and Daily Wire founder Jeremy Boring got the idea to announce his own chocolate binary for sale. Two bars, he, him, and she, her, offered with nuts and nutless. Obviously, no further explanation needed on which bars those come those are offered in uh of course i complained at the time that this isn't this isn't necessarily better yes i oppose the hershey's woke agenda but also just because uh the corporate virtue signaling comes in a right-wing flavor doesn't make it any less exasperating and so i was completely at my wits end with the idea that you're now politicizing chocolate you got a left-wing chocolate and a right-wing chocolate just make my damn chocolate regular chocolate i do not need the virtue signaling added i also said that if you were going to buy this Jeremy's chocolate for uh, I think it's 25 bucks, yes $25 for a four pack $6.25 per chocolate, then you are the sucker born every minute the P.T. Barnum warned us about okay, I guess I'm a sucker because out of an overwhelming curiosity, I'm about to buy some Jeremy's chocolate live on air I'm going to get this four pack which comes in at a grant, are you ready for this Carl? It's $32.09 total for four chocolates. But we are in radio. We do make enough to pay for that. Uh, Yes. (laughs) And and my how you people should feel appreciated that I am ponying up this exquisite amount of money to buy the chocolate because, because, of course, Jeremy Boring saying that this is anti-woke chocolate uh, is standing in opposition to the messaging of the Hershey Chocolate Corporation, which whatever, fine, great. But where's he getting this chocolate from? Hmm... Probably, yeah, yeah, Carl said it, probably Hershey's, okay, because he didn't come up with the the plants, he didn't come up with the distribution, this didn't materialize in two days, and I cannot find anywhere, not on his website, not on Daily Wire, not anywhere, not any of the other investigative reporters so far have uncovered where this chocolate is being made, so, therefore, for an experiment, and I've got the info entered, I'm paying now, no, I don't want to save the credit card info, (laughs) 
to my work computer. There, it's ordered. It's going to be shipped to me because of labeling law requirements in the United States. Yes, thank, thank you, Ethan. Order confirmed. $32 for four damn bars of chocolate. But because of labeling law requirements, there's something about the manufacturer that's going to be on the label. And I am just dying to know if he is not somehow financially benefiting the Hershey's Chocolate Corporation off of this anti-woke corporate grift. He's just engaging in the same thing. It's just more corporate virtue signaling. It's just right-wing corporate virtue signaling. It's the left-wing corporate virtue signaling, but that doesn't make it not corporate virtue signaling. I'm so tired of everything being political, but I gave him money anyway, and now it is on its way on its way to uh, to uh, me. Uh, now, apparently, this is just a pre-order. I guess it could take another couple of months for, for the actual chocolate to arrive. But when it does, I'll update you. Thanks for listening to Saturday Night on the Circle 93 WIABC. This was another funny food-related story in the news where it's just coming, uh, uh, making the rounds now because of social media. But back in 2015, a murder mystery was solved because the perpetrators gave an alibi about fries that didn't add up to the investigator and of course this was being uh, this was uh, from Dateline's weekend murder mysteries where they gave uh, this unusual twist but their list of clues in this case was growing including a highly unusual one well here in Alabama there's Milo's hamburgers and they have absolutely some of the best french fries I'd have to say in the world and everyone around here knows we have to eat those fries while they're hot. So police were puzzled when Cindy said on the night of her husband's murder, she dropped off the bag filled with burgers and fries and told Michael she was off to buy groceries at the Piggly Wiggly. Before or after Yeti? We had to eat. That was the red flag moment for you that Cindy didn't stay and eat her fries. That's as bizarre as it sounds, yes. <laughs> That was the <laughs> that was the red flag moment. She didn't eat her fries, and that just doesn't make sense because Milo's fries are the best. And of course, there were other aspects of the alibi that didn't add up, but that's what really tipped the hand of investigators at the time was the fact they didn't eat their fries. Something doesn't add up here. Yeah, that's absolutely hysterical. Um, 93 WIBC Saturday night on The Circle. Wrapping up this segment, uh, stay tuned for hour two. Going to have Brian Baker joining us in the studio. But before I go, I also wanted to mourn the unexpected passing of a fantastic character actor, um, Lance Reddick. Passing away of natural causes at the age of 60, uh, his publicist uh, released, of course, we still, again, don't know the specific causes, um, but certainly at the age of 60, he passed all too young, noted for his roles in The Wire, in Fringe, in Bosch, in Lost, in video games. Uh, he, he got around, and he was an extremely talented man. I will always remember this <laughs> unforgettable appearance on the Eric Andre show, Lance Reddick, The Legend. I wish I would have uh, I wish I would have uh, Where's my iconic slave role? Hey, Motherfucker. I wish I would have uh, Burton. F*** all y'all. F*** all y'all. Wolf speed don't rainbow read me.
Man, at the age of 60, that's really passing too young, uh, especially such a talented man who's touched the lives of many and entertained them for years. Stay tuned to 93 WIBC, Saturday night on The Circle. This is Saturday Night on The Circle on 93 WIBC. dismay has broken out on the border this week as more than a thousand migrants storm officials at the El Paso border checkpoint attempting to overwhelm and enter the country. This is 93 WIBC Saturday night on the circle. Check our podcast at Saturday night on the circle.fireside.fm released on WIBC.com and join the show in progress live on YouTube. You can find us on Facebook, share, like, comment. We're on Twitter. Do the same there or search for WIBC on YouTube. Come in the chat and join the show in progress. We appreciate your support. Just like I was telling Carl, um, uh, during the break, man, I, I I gotta know where this chocolate is made. <laughs> gotta know, you know, because it it just was put together in such short order, and I'm deathly curious to see where the uh, chocolate was manufactured. Won't know for a few more months, so you gotta wait because the estimated shipping starts on May 15th. So it will still be several days after that. And if you're unaware of what we're talking about, I ended last hour uh, discussing my quest to purchase Jeremy's chocolate binary. It's on the way. We got to wait a few months uh, in an effort to know where it was made, because of course this is uh, supposed to be against, it's the anti-woke chocolate. It's against uh, Hershey's and it, and is he somehow benefiting the Hershey's Corporation by giving money to the same manufacturer? Like I gotta I gotta know, and we'll find out in a couple of months. So yeah, check the podcast if you missed last segment at wibc.com, Fireside, or the other associated places. But beginning this hour with continued deterioration at the border, like I said, more than a thousand migrants seeking to overwhelm border officials, seemingly celebrating in progress as they attempted to storm and filmed themselves doing it. This is like a celebration. These kids are on vacation, mostly young males, although there were a few women and children included, um, mostly as human shields, but otherwise largely young men. Here was uh, just a small small snippet of uh, the disaster that was uh, successfully repelled. so cheerful because they're used to getting away with it because the Biden administration has all but invited this incursion on our soil. Of course, they're attempting to deflect Green Jean-Pierre announcing, finally, they're gonna do the work. So on this, do the, look, we're going to secure the border uh, and do the work uh, you've heard from, uh, from Mayorkas on this, do the work, Secretary Mayorkas on this, do the work to continue to do that. 
Better late than never, I guess. Isn't that right, producer Carl? 780 days after Biden took office. Is she talking about the French border? <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, certainly. That's the, that, that is a more secure border than our southern or our northern border. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're going to do the work now 780 days into office, which is absolutely ridiculous. And their lack of oversight really is not only inviting this lawlessness, but also resulting in large human casualty, large fatalities, which are sad and should be mourned. Um, of course, we remember the 50 migrants, uh, more than 50 migrants, uh, who all but cooked to death in the back of that box truck that was found, I believe, in Texas uh, late last year. Now more than eight, possibly more migrants uh, have died after a human smuggling operation uh, was discovered right off the coast of San Diego and uh, drowning in uh, one of the largest such disasters in recent memory. Your details on what officials are calling one of the deadliest U.S. maritime smuggling tragedies in recent years. Eight people died when two migrant smuggling boats overturned off San Diego's coast this weekend. Seven more people are believed to be missing. The Coast Guard suspended their search yesterday afternoon. NBC's Dana Griffin is covering this for us. Dana, what more do we know about this tragedy? So, Jose, San Diego police received that 911 call from a woman on one of those panga boats around midnight Sunday. She said there was a crash and that her boat carrying eight people made it to shore, but a second one carrying 15 capsized in the water. At least eight adult bodies have been found. Seven people remain missing. Now, this sparked a dangerous rescue attempt that lasted about an hour yesterday. They then transitioned to a recovery mission that lasted about five hours. Crews found no additional survivors. Now, local officials warn these kinds of incidents are happening more frequently in the area. And contrary to what Democrat bleeding hearts would wish you to believe, these aren't all individuals that are just looking for a better life on the shores of America. No, these are sometimes criminal organizations with nefarious intent who have sex trafficked individuals into the country and exploited them. Um, and th this is being re reported by uh, officials who had to respond to this event. Since 2017, we've had a 700. 71% increase in human trafficking in the Southern California coastal region. Since 2021, we've had 23 lives lost at sea. This is not necessarily people trying to find a better life. This is part of a transnational criminal organization effort to smuggle people into the United States. 700% increase. That's not coincidental. That is directly tied to policy decisions that have been enacted by the Biden administration, which have invited this incursion to our shores. And the idea that orderly border control should be maintained is not a race-based policy. In fact, it's also affecting our border to the north, which uh, I'll get to in just a moment. But Corrine uh, Jean-Pierre attempting to explain the Biden administration's implementation of border policy and, and really sh shifting the blame to the former administration. The Trump administration did not go well and certainly did not make her appear any more adept at her job. What we are going to promise is that we're going to do this. We're going to move forward with 
with a with a uh, with this kind of system, this immigration system that has been gutted, really, truly gutted by the last administration. We're going to move forward and do it in a humane way. We're going to do it in a safe way. Uh, and we're going to do it in a way that moves us forward. And so what we have been seeing, what we've been dealing with, again, is trying to fix the damage that the last administration do, did. What we have done is we've ex- we've opened the path uh, to uh, we've opened the path to, to make sure that people have a way to um, to get, you know, to come through. Yes, that much is true. That much is absolutely true. The Biden administration has opened a big, wide path for people to come through illegally but come through just the same they do and it's not just a southern border issue it's also a northern border issue you heard the report from msnbc about the eight fatalities from the human smuggling or operation off the coast of san diego here's local law enforcement on the northern border also describing the situation as dire and the support as lacking local police tell us the biden administration is not doing enough does border patrol need more people up here absolutely there aren't enough people to be able to cover all this. Last week, Border Patrol added 25 agents to this sector, some of them taken off the southern border. They say it will deter migration, but local police here say they need much more. Whether it's the southern border, the northern border, or our coast, illegal entry is up sometimes in the hundreds of percent, and this incursion has been invited by a lax enforcement policy that's been propagated by the Biden administration. That's the reality that we're having to deal with, no matter how much they attempt to obfuscate, Americans understand the flames that have been fanned by this inept administration's refusal to do the job of enforcing the borders that the Constitution outlines. You're listening to Saturday Night on The Circle. Stay tuned for more. Last hour, we opened up by discussing the ongoing financial crisis and the bank collapse, which ruffled markets worldwide. Well, Uh, Brian Baker is going to join us coming up next and explain an unusual perspective about why that may be overblown fears uh, raised beyond the necessary level uh, and give us some interesting insight into the issue. I hope you'll stay tuned coming up next to Saturday Night on The Circle. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Saturday Night on the Circle podcast. Be sure to catch us live every Saturday night from 7 to 9 Eastern on 93 WIBC Indianapolis and watch us on the YouTube live stream where you can comment live with other fans. Storm clouds are raging all around my door. I think to myself I might not take it anymore. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. This is another exquisite edition of Saturday Night on the Circle with your host, the Bohemian Codger, Ethan Hatcher. Podcasts uploaded to Saturday Night on the Circle.fireside.fm and WIBC.com. Plus, feel free to hop in the chat on YouTube while our show's in progress streaming live. Just as we were finished putting up our decorations for train derailment season, now bank collapse season has set in swiftly as the Silicon Valley Bank went bust and sent a shockwave of panic that ruffled the feathers of global markets. What's it all mean, and how did this calamity befall our banking system? Well, here to help unpack and untangle the biggest bust since the 2008 financial crisis is the international man of danger and death-defying stunt driver extraordinaire, the gentleman from Georgia, Brian Baker, joins the show once again. How you doing, my friend? (laughs) 
I'm doing well, Ethan. Thank you for the fabulous introduction. And I'll tell you something, man, this uh, banking crisis, it's its not nearly as dramatic as uh, we're being led to believe in the, in the media, but it is a problem. But so much, of, so much of it is not really based on what the actual scenario is. It's just people having panic attacks and pulling money out left and right. And, you know, it's one of those self-fulfilling prob- prophecies. You remember like when we had the toilet paper crisis and they're really, we were not short on toilet paper, but everybody was hoarding. It's sort of the same thing. Like everybody gets freaked out. They get a few blurbs in the news, a, a few little pieces in the media about, oh my gosh, yeah, this is the beginning of the end. And, and it just actually becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So you're saying this is all overblown. It doesn't have anything to do with the rising Fed interest rate that have devalued the bonds? Or what about the uh, bank's involvement with having cryptocurrency as a collateral on some of the investments? That seems incredibly unwise. What's going on there, Brian? Oh, no, I, I'm not saying it, that it's not a problem or that this isn't really bad or that there weren't really easy ways to uh, to put in procedures or, or just use your brain and prevent this from happening if you're one of the guys <laughs> on the board of directors for one of these banks. Um, so, basically, what happened on this, you know, is we had for... You know what? Since 2008, we had these record low interest rates, and you had people that, number one, if you're an investor, you, for the most part, you're taking your money and you're putting it into riskier investments because it's the place where you can get a return, right? And we had this inflated market. But for the banks, you know, they have a, a situation where the way things are set up in the banking system is that you go and you deposit your money into the bank. Well, Banks have certain reserve requirements of how much they have to, to keep on hand at any given time, but then they can lend the rest of that money out. So if they keep 10% on uh, on their books, and then they can lend out 90% of that in, in loans. So essentially, it's like creating new money. If somebody goes and they want to get a loan for their car, they go and, and, uh, and the bank is then lending out the depositor's money. That money then gets maybe deposited in another bank, and then that bank keeps the 10% and then lends out the remaining 90%. And that's how banks make money. That, as well as, you know, you have investment banks that are into things like real estate. And And this particular bank that was in Silicon Valley, one of the things that they did, which is insane, is they bought bonds, and they bought 10-year bonds that were paying uh, roughly 2%, I think, is, is what the return on that was. Well, the way bonds work is, you know, as long as you hold them for the full duration of, uh, of the bond coupon, as long as you, if you buy a 10-year bond, as long as you hold it for 10 years, you're going to get your original principal back, plus you're going to get the interest on that, 2% of the original investment. Well, what happened was that things started slowing down in the economy. These tech companies that were all heavily deep in bed with this bank had their money on deposit with these banks, but they weren't making as much money. So all of a sudden, they're starting to have to pull out money, and they don't have as much going into the bank. And then on top of that, you have the Federal Reserve hiking interest rates. And all of a sudden, these bonds, these investments that they had were underwater because people could go out and get a five-year bond and get twice the amount of interest of what the bank was getting when they bought these 10-year bonds at 2%. Interest rates are going to have to go up always. You never have low interest rates forever, although it seemed like that was going to be the scenario. And the Fed in an effort to fight inflation, and they keep hiking up these interest rates, well, what wound up happening was banks now, they have to go out and sell these bonds at a loss, and the market saw what was going on there, realized that, okay, they've got some liquidity issues going on, 
And so everyone that had their money in started pulling it out all at once, and you had essentially a bank run. And folks that were deposited had had deposits that were below two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's covered by FDIC insurance, so they're fine, right? The problem was that there were folks that had more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars on deposit there. That money shouldn't have been covered by the FDIC. Unfortunately, a lot of these. Depositors were small businesses. Maybe they use it for payroll. And the government is looking at that and going, well, we can't afford to not make these people whole because if they go down and all these small businesses go down, then it starts to just take the economy down with it. And then you have other bank failures because maybe one of the companies that you're working for that had its money on deposit with this bank, uh, you know, they, they no longer are able to, they're not able to pay you your paycheck any longer. So now they've got a liquidity issue there. Then you can't make your car payment. So it trickles down to the next bank. And it's just, you know, I mean, it's just line of dominoes, just everything goes down. So was it the right call by the Biden administration to intervene and cover past the $250,000 insurance under the FDIC in order to avert a larger crisis? Yes, but here's the problem. And, and, uh, you know, what is the solution on this? I mean, you have regulators that should have been watching this stuff and paying attention and could have seen this coming. And quite frankly, the Federal Reserve could have seen this coming. I mean, this is hell, one of the guys that worked at that bank that, that, that was on the board was also serving on one of the Federal Reserve boards. So it's not as though like these folks were in the dark. And part of the problem is they know that they're always going to get a bailout. And yes, the Biden administration did the right thing because you can't have a bunch of, of, of businesses, small businesses failing, especially with the economy in the condition that it's in right now. But the problem with that scenario is that you have unintended consequences, which is that, hey, we've privatized profits, but essentially, uh, you know, losses are covered by the taxpayer, (laughs) you know, and, and that's the problem that we really created. But going all the way back to 2008 is this situation where it's okay, this isn't fair. They should have to, to take the loss. They should have to, you know, deal with the pain of that. But the greater damage, if you don't bail them out, the, the damage would be even worse than if you do bail them out. So they go ahead and make the call that they're just going to go ahead and bail these people out, and, and it saves problems. It, it, it prevents a greater problem, but then on the back end of that, it just encourages these banks to keep taking unnecessary risks and playing with money because they know that if it goes bad, that the federal government's going to step in and bail them out. So, you know, it's not a good situation that we're in. Um and I don't know what the regulation and um, you know the right measures are to prevent this from happening in the future, but it's definitely a mess because we've set a precedent now. And, yes, I mean this. This is not. This is not good. This it's reinforcing good. a lot of the bad habits that were encouraged during the 2008 financial crisis when the banks and the car, you know, and the major manufacturers were bailed out by the government. Yes, absolutely. You're listening to 93 WIBC Saturday night on The Circle. We've been chatting with Brian Baker about the bank collapse and how in some cases it's really overblown. But these federal regulators should have seen the disaster coming. Another disaster we've been dealing with is the train derailments, particularly in East Palestine. But you had an interesting take before the show started. I'd like to get into in the next segment, if you'll stick around, because you had just uh, uh, some fascinating insights on Norfolk Southern and what's going on with train derailments. Can you stick around, Brian? All right. Absolutely. Stay tuned to 93 WIBC. Brian Baker coming back. (laughs) 
You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Welcome back to Saturday Night on the Circle. I'm your host, Ethan Hatcher, and we've been chatting with the gentleman from Georgia and stuntman extraordinaire Brian Baker in the last segment, giving an overview on the banking collapse, the pressures which caused it, and how the federal government has intervened to reinforce bad habits in the financial industry. But now we're changing tact and uh, focusing on the train derailment crisis, uh, the transportation crisis that's been facing the nation. And Brian, you were sharing sharing uh, with me before we got started some interesting insights that you have into Norfolk Southern, the train derailment situation, stuff that I've not heard anywhere else. So, tell us all about it, Brian. Yeah, so this is a rather interesting thing, Ethan, and I have to admit that I was guilty myself of kind of getting caught up in the political back and forth over this disaster. Um, and I can tell you that I'm probably, I'm not going to have any friends left when this, uh, when this segment is over, because I'm going to make people mad on both sides of the political aisle. But you know, there is so much misinformation out there and political posturing that's taking place and a, a situation where both the left and the right saw this as an opportunity to score political points. And there is so much being said in the media about it. And none of it is, is factual or accurate or true. So let's kind of start at the beginning with what happened. Yeah, cut, cut through all the noise. This Because I've not heard this from anywhere else. You're saying that the, the, the entire situation is a mischaracterization. How so? Well, okay, when it first happened, you remember that the the left immediately went on the attack and tried to blame the Trump administration, Donald Trump's regulatory rollbacks for what happened. And they were uh-huh. to, to the, the brakes, right? And the braking issue. And well, the lobbyists for the railroad industry, they wanted, didn't want to have to make these, these upgrades. Well, the accident wasn't caused by an issue with the brakes. What happened was that a bearing went bad on one of the cars and these bearings, there's no way to know that one of them is bad just from a visual inspection because they're they're actually enclosed, right? I mean, you would have to actually take the entire assembly apart in order to inspect the bearing. And so they do have these sensors along the railway that actually will track temperatures for that bearing. And so as the temperature goes up, if it gets uh, to a certain level where they know, uh, you know, just based on uh, the basic science of it, okay, it's it's reaching this temperature, we've got a bearing that is going to fail, because bearings fail all the time. So they do have safety measures in place, but this bearing, there was no way for anyone to know from a visual inspection that this was going to go bad, and it had nothing to do with brakes, and everything went according to plan. They have the sensors along the tracks that noticed, okay, this we're, we're starting to notice rising temperatures in this bearing. And it shot up very, very quickly. After it hit the uh, the, the second, it, it tripped a second trigger and then a third. And the third trigger that it tripped lets the engineer know, hey, you've got a problem back here. And the engineer then applies the brakes at that point in time to bring the, uh, the train to a stop before you have a catastrophic failure. They did that. They brought uh, the train to a stop. They got out, and once they did that, they saw the smoke. The bearing had already failed by that point, and they had the derailment. So everything went according to plan. It's just that yeah, this is a, a system where uh, bearings fail. It, it happens a lot. We have train derailments 
all the time. I mean, they happen frequently on a monthly basis. You have train derailments occurring all the time. And as a result of that, that's also one of the reasons why Buttigieg wasn't on the ground right away, because it wasn't really anything that was that catastrophic or abnormal. This kind of stuff does happen, but it became political theater. And then the right jumped on it. And you had Tucker Carlson getting everyone all worked up and say, oh, they, you know, these, these chemicals, they're, they're blowing things up. And it's but what it's about the-, the rivers and fish and die, are dying. So here's the deal. What about those chemicals, though? Because those are some serious carcinogens. And you're saying that that's nothing to be worried about. I'd be concerned. I'm not saying there's nothing to be worried about. What I'm saying is that Norfolk Southern got all of this this criticism from the right for venting uh, off those chemicals and burning them. But had they not done that, Ethan, these chemicals are very volatile. And if they're not kept at a certain temperature, then they become more unstable. And so they could have had a situation where had they not done that, and this is standard operating procedure, what they did, venting and, and then doing the burn-off, it could have been an uncontrolled explosion. So they actually did everything according to plan. They had the area cleared in advance to do this. And so all of these things that you're hearing about, oh, you know, we've had spill-offs in the rivers and fish are dying. Well, the fish are dying, but that's not related to the train incident in East Palestine. That area already has ecological challenges. And so this is not actually, you know, you cannot directly tie this to the train. But here's the other thing, man. This car... The, the car didn't even belong to Norfolk Southern. To explain, you know, Norfolk Southern, they're, they're just a, a, a shipper. And so they have to ship whatever the, the client wants to ship. This wasn't one of their cars. And the car had already been handled by two or three other railroads or, or uh, railroad companies prior to Norfolk Southern getting it. So essentially, I mean, it could have happened on any company's watch. They just happened to you know, be the losers of a game of, of hot potato, essentially. But in, in, uh, in terms of how it's been handled and, you know, Buttigieg went out, you know, at that point, I guess, you know, just to say political face, he went out and he went on the scene. But, you know, this criticism for Biden not going out and, uh, and, and making an appearance there and he should go to East Palestine. Well, no, he shouldn't, because here's the thing. When politicians show up on the sites of these disasters, quote unquote, then that just impedes the ability of the people that are there to get things cleaned up and fixed. It just impedes their ability to get the job done because you have folks that, you know, they're in the process of trying to clean this thing up and and, and get things back on track, uh, you know, pardon the pun. And then you have (laughs) politicians that are flying in that want to get their their face time. They want to score political points. And so, okay, well, we have to clear out this area and, you know, we can't be doing any of this work because we've got a senator. There's helicopter coming in. There's security issues. And so it actually just delays the process that much more. Now, why they don't explain that, uh, why the White House, uh, they, they certainly seem more than willing to look for every opportunity to try and protect Biden when he really does do something stupid and does something wrong. And for some reason, they don't want to want to bring that up or mention it. But actually, I mean, him not going to East Palestine is, is a good thing. We, we don't need politicians showing up there and, and doing grandstanding and having having reporters coming out and asking a bunch of questions just let the people do their job and get things cleaned up i agree with um, you on the on the administration not being able to explain that and for whatever reason they seem
seem all too willing to throw Corrine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, out to the wolves without giving her adequate information. And even if I can buy in on the notion that Biden doesn't necessarily need to be front and center on the front lines because it would otherwise impede the cleanup, I'm curious to hear your reaction to stuff like the investigative report that was done by Vice more than a year before this derailment, which pointed the finger. I played this on the show a couple of weeks ago, I believe, where uh, they, they did a specific investigation and revealed that some of these rail cars, they're supposed to be inspected every 3,000 miles, but they were not getting inspected for sometimes 30 to 90,000 miles uh, or those visual inspection times. And I know you said that it was a ball bearing and that wouldn't have necessarily been caught by a visual inspection, but they are cutting those inspection times that used to be nearly four minutes to now a minute and 20 that you're required to uh, cover visually a nearly 100 foot train car like that doesn't add up to me. And I think that maybe there were uh, uh, cuts in safety protocols that helped uh, uh, create this situation. I mean, what's your response to that? Well, absolutely. I will say that there are, are challenges with cuts. And, you know, I think, you know, the rail uh, railroad workers, I mean, they were staging, planning to stage a major strike, right, because they're overworked. I mean, listen, there, there are challenges, because I looked at one point in time, I looked into uh, being an engineer, because you can make some pretty good money at it, but there are major problems with how things are run and, and how much conductors and engineers and people that, that work on these lines, they're overworked. They work extremely long hours. They have erratic schedules, so they're never on like the, the same schedule from day to day. They never know exactly when they're coming in. So you have these people that are piloting these, these locomotives, and they're pulling hazardous chemicals, and many of them sleep-deprived. I mean, that is not an ideal situation. Um so that's a danger, but they're also running with smaller crews than they did in the past either. That's a problem. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are a lot of areas where there were protocols and systems in place that things are, are just not being followed and, and or that they are loosening restrictions and, uh, you know, they're, they're getting away with more and more. And I'm not arguing that all of that is a bad thing. I'm just saying in this particular situation, what happened was kind of a textbook scenario. And again, we have derailments. I know this is disturbing for people to hear, and and I was surprised to learn, but we have derailments all the time. And believe it or not, people get hit by trains all the time, too, Ethan. It happens on a near-daily basis. There are lawyers that work for these companies that all they do all day long is review footage of people that have been hit by trains. Sometimes it's an accident. A lot of times people will commit suicide. I mean, it's, it's a pretty big problem, but it's one of those things that it happens so often that nobody ever really talks about it or thinks, oh, this is a major tragedy or something that we need to deal with because it's just it, it just comes with the territory and it's it's the norm. Wow. An appropriately morbid way to end the segment considering we began with Blue Oyster Cult, cult uh, Don't Fear the Reaper. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I guess the final word here is that, yes, there were shortfalls, but overall, not as dire of a calamity as being portrayed in a media that's already known to manipulate facts on the ground for their own benefit. Is that really well, the takeaway here? I, I, yes, but I think the, the real takeaway here is, man, we are getting played by both sides. Yes. Both, political, uh, both sides of the political aisle are full of complete and total crap. And, you know, it's a good lesson, I think, for everyone. What we're seeing happening in the banking sector, what we're seeing happening with East Palestine, but just in how folks are trying to control the narrative. I mean, we're really, I hope, Ethan, seeing the implosion of some of the manipulation that takes place in the media as people get 
wise to what's happening. And, you know, maybe that's, maybe some good will come out of this. Maybe people will become a little bit more well-informed. Maybe they'll think for themselves. Maybe they won't just go along with whatever, you know, the, the political party is telling them because that's what they want to hear. Maybe folks will actually do some critical thinking, and we might actually come to the center and resolve some challenges that we're trying to, to get resolved here in the country. I think it could potentially be a great thing. Maybe, and we can always hope, but the, the cynic in me knows that my heart's been broken too many times to hold out hope. <laughs> You're right. You're listening to Saturday Night on the Circle. Brian, thanks for coming on the show and spending so much time with us. I appreciate your insight and certainly a different take on both these issues than I think you'll hear in most places. I appreciate it, Ethan. Thanks for having me on. And stay tuned to 93 WIBC for our final segment up next. Oh, ho, ho, it's my- Listening to Saturday Night on the Circle on 93 WIPC. Thanks for joining the show, ladies and gentlemen. Wrapping things up here on a Saturday evening. Been having all the fun in the world. Thanks for listening. Thanks for showing your support. Been chatting with folks in the YouTube lives chat. Uh, so if you are so inclined, check us out there. Search for WIBC in the search bar. You'll find us broadcasting live. Of course, you can find podcasts uploaded to Saturday night on the circle.fireside.fm as well as WIBC.com. Producer Carl beep, 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 pushing the buttons and making the show sound fantastic as usual. Also, Producer Carl, I'm glad you mentioned this. You, uh, you want to make sure that I, I pointed out, for those on the YouTube stream, uh, my my memes that I've got behind me. This one was left by uh, the Hammer and Nigel crew. Uh, the I'll Drink to That poster with uh, the one and only Mayor Joe Hogsnot. Love that. Love that poster. I'd, I'd buy that for a dollar, to quote the uh, RoboCop bit there. Um yeah, I was entertained. I've noticed Rob putting uh, little little props behind him uh, during the broadcasts and thought it was uh, worth doing as well. Also, I don't know who who brought this here. Um, this is – have you seen the Mike Pence photo, Producer Carl? No. Uh, I'll show it to the YouTube <laughs> audience first. This is – Wow. Yeah, uh, Mike Pence sitting in the powerful WIBC broadcasting chair, a uh, photo from his days uh, here at the station. So, so yes, here's the physical photographic verification that indeed the vice president did used to work here. We've made him proud. <laughs> You're listening to 93 WIBC Saturday night on the circle. I guess I'll put this put this back up. Put things back where you found them. That is uh, always a rule for politeness. Okay. Um, before we wrap up things here this evening, oh, oh yeah, I wanted to cover this article. Um, climate activist Greta Thunberg. How dare you? Uh, Greta, Greta has returned to the Twitter and very quietly, quietly deleting an apocalyptic prediction from 2018 warning that climate change will wipe out all of humanity by 2023 if fossil fuel usage continued. 
I don't know about you guys, but uh, the world still seems to be here. That's the thing about uh, apocalyptic predictions. It's important to keep them threateningly imminent and yet appropriately vague uh, to avoid retroactive criticism after the dates have passed. And Carl, this is something that I should know, remember, because I left the religious cult of Jehovah's Witnesses who themselves have infamously predicted the end of the world a number of times, including most prominently 1975. Stay alive to 75, the old the old witnesses used to say there. Uh, so yeah, that, 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 that's why I say it's, it, it, it's important to make them threateningly imminent, yet appropriately vague, because <laughs> you don't want to be called. Um, but yeah, this is... Uh, the tweet she deleted, uh, warning from Harvard University professor of atmospheric chemistry, James Anderson, claiming that pollution as a result of burning fossil fuels pushed the climate back 33 million years, potentially, to an era when there are no ice caps at the pole. The tweet dated June 21st, 2018, was quoted in an article that cited Anderson um, and has since been deleted. There's no evidence of it anywhere, uh, except, fortunately, one of these uh, social media watchers screen capped it and uh, tweeted, quote tweeted, uh, quote tweeted Greta, asking, uh, "Why, why'd you delete this? What, where'd the, why, why was this important to go away?" <laughs> Listening to Saturday Night on the Circle, wrapping things up. Uh, another thing, of course, we celebrated this week was St. Patrick's Day, an opportunity to dye the Chicago River green once again, uh, wear your favorite uh, shamrock uh, themed outfit and go out uh, in, in celebrating and revelry. And of course, a true celebration would not be complete without a Biden gaffe who hearkened back to the destructive uh, stereotypes of the 19th century with this short-sighted comment. Now, I'm the only Irishman you ever met, though, that's never had a drink, so I'm okay. I'm, I'm really not Irish. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit there, uh, President Biden. Oh, the Irish like to drink. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that that that's an old uh, ethnic joke. We, we get it. Uh, curious coming from a president who pushes diversity, equity, and inclusion to then be so divisive and, dare I say, racist as to echo comments made by the infamous... Uh, uh, Richard Nixon and the Nixon tapes that got released a few years ago. This is what he had to say about the Irish. The Irish can't drink because they get mean, particularly the real Irish. So there we go. Maybe that's the reason that Biden doesn't take a drink. I'm the only Irishman you ever met, though, that's never had a drink, so I'm okay. I'm, I'm really not Irish. Because, I mean, he, because he doesn't want to get mean. <laughs> Here we go. Thanks for tuning in, guys, to Saturday Night on the Circle. Another exciting broadcast uh, being taken care of. I, you know, had a fun time on this show as usual. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for showing your support and joining us in the YouTube chat. Our usual fans, I appreciate you. Uh, and make sure to catch the podcast uploaded to WIBC.com. Saturday Night on the Circle.Fireside.FM. Producer Carl, uh, uh, we will be out next week. I am preempted by the sports get ball, and I understand the week thereafter you're going to be going away as well on uh, vacay. 
Yes, I'll be gone, but I'm sure you'll be in good hands. And you'll be with us here in spirit. We'll miss you and anticipate your return. But in the meantime, I leave you with my parting words of wisdom. As always, whoever you are, whatever you're with, whoever you're with, and whatever you're doing, remember that life is a state of mind. See you next time. guys thanks for listening to the saturday night on the circle podcast be sure to catch us live every saturday night from 7 to 9 eastern on 93 wibc indianapolis and watch us on the youtube live stream where you can comment live with other fans